Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week, a recap of the week's news in Indiana agriculture and a look ahead with the Indiana Farm Forecast. I'm Andy Eubank. And I'm C.J. Miller. Familiar names in the news this week include Heather Hill, Kendall Culp, Bruce Kettler, and Purdue's Sean Castile. And you'll hear from all of them coming up here on Hoosier Act this week. Thanks, CJ. We'll review the markets, too, which ended Friday on an upswing. And Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin checks in with the Christmas weekend winter storm update. Eric Pfeiffer is here, too, and we start with his report on a change coming soon for two Indiana ag organizations with one individual's move. Eric? It was announced earlier this week that Bruce Kettler will be leaving his post atop the Indiana State Department of Agriculture and becoming the president and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. It has been my honor to serve the, the citizens and particularly the uh, the agricultural industry in the state of Indiana. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity that Governor Holcomb, Lieutenant Governor Crouch gave me. wasn't one that I expected, but it has been uh, certainly has been an honor for me to be able to serve in that role. Under Kettler's leadership, ISDA developed a rural economic development model and data access for rural economic development professionals and created strong growth in soil conservation with increased cover crop adoption. Also, we worked with the hardwoods industry to develop a new strategy for their industry that was well received and I think very, very strong. Uh, my predecessor, Ted McKinney, before uh, when he was in this role, uh, had there had been a dairy strategy put forth. We found and realized that we needed to update that strategy. So uh, as a department, we, we developed and, and worked on the Dairy Industry Strategy 2.0 that's uh, being worked on now. Those are just a few of the things we had. The final thing I'll say is, is, and I don't know, if some may not consider it an accomplishment, um, but as I look back and reflect upon the COVID pandemic, um, you know, we were all, everybody in agriculture and all industries were experiencing something that was very, very different. There was no no playbook, really, in many ways, no ways to look back upon history to know what to do. But I'm very proud of our industry. The stakeholders that worked with us at the State Department of Agriculture and with other state agencies like the Board of Animal Health, uh, the State Chemist Office, and others, I'm really proud of how we collaborated and, and communicated on a very regular basis through the pandemic. There were weekly stakeholder calls that uh, we worked with, that we held, that we hosted. I know the Board of Animal Health did the same. And I'm just really pleased with how the industry realized that, you know, if we communicate, if we talk, if we offer help and assistance where we could in a, in a situation that was just unprecedented and none of us had been through, it was amazing how, how that happened. We didn't have a playbook. We, we just... I just found out very quickly that people just knew that we had to had to figure out if we if we did communicate what was going on in all these various areas that we could all get through it together and we can make connections for people to help get through it quicker than if we just tried to do it on our own. And I would again, I don't know if that's an accomplishment other than it gave me a very, very strong uh, view of the industry and the state of Indiana and how things work during a very difficult time. With the Agribusiness Council of Indiana, Kettler says he and the board of directors 
are looking for membership growth for the organization. Some people might just think of it as, you know, grain elevators, retailers, and and those kinds of businesses. But when we think about the future of the industry, technology companies become a part of it, maybe reaching out to other related sectors that will be touched by the industry of agriculture. And that's where, where I think from my perspective, I know there's growth opportunities there. Kettler's final day with ISDA will be January 6th. Lieutenant Governor Crouch says a search will begin immediately for his successor. You can hear my full interview with Kettler at HoosierAgToday.com. In other news, Kendall Culp was re-elected as vice president of Indiana Farm Bureau last weekend at their annual convention. Culp will serve another three-year term in the role. Concern was raised about Culp's position with Farm Bureau while also being an Indiana state representative for District 16. He told Hoosier Ag today he just wants to do what's right by his constituents and the Farm Bureau membership of which there are 5,500 of those that overlap. We looked at if there were any conflicts. As you know, the vice president by by role is uh, in charge of our political action committee. Obviously, I stepped away from that, and the president appointed someone else to do that. So since I stepped away from the political side of it, I did pick up our industry relations side, an area in Farm Bureau that we really were a little bit lax in. And so now I lead those industry relations efforts. So we've had a lot of meeting with our industry partners, with agribusinesses around the state, because we want to make the tent bigger. And there there's just so few of us in agriculture today. It's really important that we all work together, and I think that is even uh, something that's really important that I will continue to do as we move forward as vice president. I asked Culp what will happen if and when he's faced with a vote in the House that opposes what's in the Farm Bureau policy book. I've thought a lot about that, and again, back to my district, which made, is made up of a lot of agricultural leaders. I'm going to look at that issue, and I'm going to talk to my constituents in my district, and I'm going to get their input, and I'm going to look and see what our Farm Bureau members, what they support and what they believe is correct. And then hopefully I can I can be the facilitator of that discussion because, you know, a lot of times there's additional information that comes in that maybe not everybody's aware of. Maybe, maybe there is an opportunity to collaborate and to reach a compromise on an issue that we didn't really see before. So I, I take that role very seriously and very personally, and I hope to be the facilitator if that issue does arise. Culp says he's humbled to be reelected and is looking forward to continued work with Farm Bureau's engaged and passionate members that are as excited about advocacy as he is. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. All right, thank you, Eric. Now we check the markets here on Hoosier Ag This Week. And we ended the week Friday with a pop in corn, soybeans, and wheat. An up and down week overall. Let's review. Numbers coming up. First, market analysis. And I secured that at the end of Friday trade with John Zanker at Risk Management Commodities. John, a nice up move in the corn, soybean, and wheat markets to end the week. And it will, of course, be a long weekend three days of no markets saturday sunday and monday is the christmas observed federal holiday but back to friday a positive movement into that long christmas break well we have the ongoing argentine drought concerns still in play that's forecast is kind of flipped back and forth a little bit this week uh, if not quite a bit at times but today we're leaning more back toward hotter and drier uh, and drifting up into southern Brazil, catching a rigor and coal as well. So that's the main impetus behind today's rally. And, uh, and of course, the trade's hoping that China opening up 
its economy um, is going to create some ex- uh, extra demand as well. Uh, I don't know if it will for corn, but it uh, certainly should for soybeans if things go to plan. The Friday move in beans, 13, 14 cents higher, pretty impressive. What did you make of that? Well, it is. And uh, again, it's it's pretty much a weather thing, uh, along with China. I'm a little bit cautious. John Zanker there, Risk Management Commodities. The number there is 866-837-9027. Now the Friday settlements up all around. Corn, soybeans, and wheat. March corn, 666 and a quarter, up a nickel and three quarters. And almost a nickel higher on the May contract, 665. 1479 for January beans, climbing 11 and a quarter. And March jumps 12 and a half cents, 1484 and a half, up 13 and three quarters on March wheat in Chicago, 776. The meat markets were mixed. February live cattle up 45 at 157.75. Febline hogs, 87.82, down 122. And that's our market recap. I'm Andy Eubank. Thank you so much for joining us on your Christmas weekend. This is Who's Your Ag This Week. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Solar energy now provides electricity at costs lower than traditional energy sources, like coal. Hoosiers know that renewable energy has a positive impact on local communities because it creates good jobs and provides tax revenue for public projects like schools, roads, community centers, and high-speed internet to rural Indiana. Solar energy can mean a huge win for our communities. Learn more at HoosiersForRenewables.com. It is a brutally cold Christmas weekend. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Indiana Farm Forecast, a weekend edition, Christmas edition as well. We are definitely dealing with a major cold air blast across the region. This came in about, uh, well, 24 to 36 hours ago, overnight Thursday night into Friday morning. We saw a dramatic front come through. Gusty winds were with that front, but... Uh, Let's address the elephant in the room first. Uh, The storm system really petered out. There was not a lot of snow with it, and I guess at this stage of the ballgame, if you want to complain about the fact that more snow and more gloom and doom was forecasted than actually happened, uh, that puts you in a special class of people who like to complain about things, I guess. Look, I, I would more than be welcome to have more gloom and doom forecasted than we got any time of day but here's what we ended up with overall a very brutally cold air mass temperatures bottoming out well below zero as we went into yesterday morning this morning we're also looking at temperatures down well below zero 10 12 degrees below zero as we get started on your christmas eve temperatures will bounce but i think we stay single digits for highs today barely getting to the low teens for christmas day tomorrow so bundle up if you're traveling to grandma's house and make sure if you're taking something that is going to freeze quickly you have it insulated to keep that from happening but generally speaking winds while they're a problem today very strong very gusty still trying to create some blowing snow the winds should subside a little bit more tomorrow and we will basically be wind free on monday We've got a little clipper system that tries to dive into the state Monday afternoon. Could give us a fresh coating to an inch of snow, 60% coverage, but it's not a story in my opinion. We stay chilly, but not as cold for Tuesday, and then flip the script. 
Much warmer air coming in the second half of this upcoming week. Wednesday through the New Year's weekend, we are above normal. We are warm right away. We see snow melt for Wednesday, Thursday, and the first part of Friday. And then we pick up some rain activity overnight Friday night through Saturday and New Year's Day on Sunday. Combined rain totals could end up being a quarter to three quarters of an inch. So we're going to end up with greasy conditions with the snow melt and seeing a little bit of top layers of soil start to thaw out a little bit. Very, very greasy, very muddy. And then we're adding a little bit more moisture to that. The good news is the moisture is not overly heavy. The bad news is we do have that first inch, inch and a half or so of soil frozen. So there could be more runoff and ponding than we would like here, at least initially for your New Year's weekend. I think this is short-lived. Cold air comes back as we head toward January 10th. I'm Ryan Martin. Everyone wants energy independence, reliability, and security. Most Hoosiers see solar as a homegrown energy source that is clean, reliable, and affordable. Solar energy strengthens our communities by providing millions of dollars for local needs, while farmers and landowners receive stable, long-term benefits. Our path to energy independence is through renewable energy. Learn more at HoosiersForRenewables.com. Welcome back to our Christmas edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Well, 2022 has been a very good year for the pork industry. From the growth of exports to new advancements in technology. And that's why one Indiana farmer who leads the country's pork checkoff says she's proud of the pork industry's accomplishments during this past year. My number one priority is providing an affordable and nutritious product to families across the world. And that's Hancock County farmer Heather Hill, who is president of the National Pork Board. She says the organization has been promoting both the safety of pork and the sustainability of pork production. First, we're continuing to bust consumer myths about modern pork production. Tackling these commonly held misconceptions builds trust in our industry and our products. Second, sustainability continues to be a strong focus for our team. We are on a mission to protect our freedom to operate and demonstrate that pork and crop farming are sustainable. Hill points to a higher number of pork exports as one of the major successes of the pork industry in 2022. American consumers are increasing their consumption of ground pork, and we're expanding the presence of ground pork in the meat case. Internationally, we export U.S. pork to more than 95 countries. We're working to build confidence in U.S. pork and differentiate our product from our competitors. This year, we've seen exponential growth in markets in the Western Hemisphere, like Mexico and the Caribbean. Even though Hill says she is proud of the accomplishments of the National Pork Board, she says it's all about the future of the pork industry and working now to ensure the success of the next generation of America's pork producers. I serve to benefit my children, their friends, and the next generation of all pig farmers. Protecting our freedom to operate and protecting pork's place on the plate are essential to our future. You can watch a video of Heather's year-end message from the National Pork Board at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, a split is coming to Washington, D.C. in the new year as Republicans get set to take over the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Andy Eubank reports on what that shift may mean for agriculture. Regardless of who has control, the country's farm organizations have a history of working with both sides. Ag policy has a long tradition of being a bipartisan conversation. That's new American Farm Bureau Federation Executive Vice President Joby Young. Young says the bipartisan approach for AFB 
SBF in the coming year won't be much different than the past. From a Farm Bureau perspective, we're a bipartisan organization. We have great relationships and uh, constituency that is able to have a good conversation with policymakers from both parties and look forward to doing that, not just with folks that we have long-standing relationships with that may have been in Congress for a long time, but also a lot of new members. Farm Bill working group discussions are already at full speed in preparation for the writing of the 2023 bill. 2,800 county farm bureaus over the past few months, those folks have had their county meetings. They've articulated policy that feeds up into their state annual meetings. And then when we have our convention in Puerto Rico in January, our, that delegate body will finalize our policy priorities. And one part of that will be the farm bill. Young said the working group produced 60 recommendations for farm bill priorities. Things like keeping the farm bill unified, keeping that nutrition title paired with the farm program aspects of the farm bill. We feel that's been a successful approach. It's something that allows us to have that conversation around the whole food and ag system together, that policy conversation. So we'd like to see that continue. Additionally, Farm Bureau would like to see critical programs in the Farm Bill preserved, namely the safety net and crop insurance. They also want USDA to have the staffing and systems in place so programs can be deployed. I'm Andy Eubank. Thank you, Andy. Well, if you're an Indiana farmer, you may already have spring planting on your mind. And that's why Case IH is promoting their field cultivator with their newest technology. At Case IH, we want to make every pass through that field complement that planter. And that's C.J. Parker with Case IH, which has developed their TigerMate 255 field cultivator with Advanced Farming Systems Soil Command. It's the first technology that allows producers to create a more even seed bed for planting. That technology kind of gives that agronomic information in the cab of the operator on how good of a seed bed he is making as that field cultivator is moving through the soil. So maybe that operator is going too fast and um, the way we measure how far that back of that shank is yielding on that field cultivator, it'll say, hey, maybe I better slow down a little bit because I'm not creating a good seed bed for that planter. Parker says that technology from Case IH is all about setting you up for better success and higher yields come harvest time. We've done agronomic studies where we know that a poor seed bed is going to significantly reduce yield as, as we look at emergence and follow that plant throughout the growing season. So it's, it's really important to have, make sure every pass complements that planter as best as possible. For more information about the Case IH TigerMate 255 field cultivator with seed bed sensing technology, visit our website at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, during this Christmas weekend, it's all about giving and thinking of others. And that's why the National FFA organization has teamed up with a central Indiana nonprofit called Book Pillows of Hope to make travel book pillows to give out to children in need who are going through a difficult time. We go wherever there's a need. Wherever we feel we can comfort a child, we'll be there. And that's Kathy Buck of Indianapolis, who started a nonprofit organization called Book Pillows of Hope. And what do these book pillows look like? We make 14-inch pillows. We cover them in fabric. There's a pocket on the front, a handle for the child to carry the pillow with, and then a book is inserted in the pocket. So it's educational, also comforting. And we donate these to children in the community. Kathy says Book Pillows of Hope first started as a gift idea for her family. Well, initially I just made them for our six grandchildren for Easter two and a half years ago. I had just retired from teaching special education. I was kind of looking for something to do to give back to the community. And I kind of fell in love with this pattern when I saw it in the store because it promoted reading 
and yet brought comfort. And I initially made 12 of them and took them to the Ronald McDonald House. And now we are making about 220 a month. Kathy says she's still looking to grow book pillows of hope to provide comfort to as many children as possible. If anybody ever has a need, they know of a child or a family that has a tragedy, if they let us know, we will get book pillows to them. You can also find a link and more information at HoosierAgToday.com. More of our Christmas edition of Hoosier Ag This Week is coming up. I'm C.J. Miller, and this is Hoosier Ag Today. Here's your holiday reminder that it's just about time to put out the milk and cookies for my big night. Ho, ho, ho! That's right. Just take a picture of the milk and cookies that you leave out for Santa and post it to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the hashtag SantaDrinksMilk. Use all your social media and be sure you tag at INDairy along with hashtag SantaDrinksMilk. Now let's see those pics with hashtag SantaDrinksMilk. Ho, ho, ho! For generations, Indiana farmers have grown crops to supply our country. Now, a new crop is on the horizon, solar power. A huge majority of Hoosiers support the right of farmers to use their land as they please. And all across Indiana, more than 120 renewable energy projects are sprouting. Solar energy also helps us stay energy independent, generating electrons right here on Hoosier soil. Learn more at HoosiersForRenewables.com. Christmas and welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack is keeping up the pressure on Mexican officials to back off plans to ban imports of GMO corn. Vilsack and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai met with a delegation of senior Mexican government officials in Washington, D.C. late last week. Those officials offered amendments to President Lopez Obrador's plans to ban imports of GMO corn starting in 2024. Vilsack and Tai are reviewing their proposal, but Vilsack warned ahead of their meeting. If the proposal doesn't meet what we think is consistent with the science and doesn't meet what we think is consistent with the USMCA, that we will absolutely continue to work with the U.S. Trade Representative Office to, to begin the process of triggering whatever needs to be triggered under the USMCA. And that hasn't changed. It's not going to change. And that's the same message that Vilsack delivered directly to President Obrador when he recently visited Mexico. By going down and and speaking to the president and basically making sure he understood that, I think he respected that. And we, we hope two things. One, we hope that we continue to see a corn that's produced in the United States to Mexico. And we hope to see consistency and, and uh, adherence to the terms and conditions of the USMCA or uh, a process in which we uh, trigger the dispute resolution aspect of the USMCA. Vilsack called on the U.S. Senate to act and help in this endeavor by confirming nominee Alexis Taylor to be USDA's Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. Apparently, if you ask, you shall receive. That happened earlier this week. Now farm groups are awaiting to see if Doug McCaleb, the nominee for chief ag negotiator in the U.S. Trade Representative's office, might also get confirmed during this lame duck session. Well, it's all about saving you time and money and helping you get the most out of your fertilizer. That's why one company has developed a corn seed with the nitrogen you need already on it. 
CJ Miller has the details. So this is the first time anyone has ever put nitrogen on seed before planting. And that's Clayton Nevis, agronomy scientist with Pivot Bio, talking about their new product called Proven 40 on Seed. This is a more reliable, efficient form of nitrogen. So we know our nitrogen is right on the roots of the plant and, and we're storing nitrogen in the plant and not in the soil. So unlike other forms of nitrogen that uh, leach into waterways or volatilize into the air, our nitrogen is right there on the roots and makes it into the plant uh, over the course of the growing season. The agronomist did Pivot Bio recently tested their new Proven 40 on-seed product at more than 2,100 farm fields across the U.S. When we use Pivot Bio Proven 40 and we replace synthetic nitrogen, on average across all the different environments, we had 12% more biomass and 14% more nitrogen in the plant compared to the grower standard practice. So we're seeing bigger, healthier, greener plants when using Pivot Bio Proven 40. Clayton says it's a win-win for farmers because the on-seed nitrogen isn't just more effective, it's also a huge saver of your time and money. Because it doesn't require any special equipment to use um, and it could be potentially saving a pass in the field as well. For more information about Pivot Bio's new Proven 40 on-seed product, visit pivotbio.com. I'm CJ Miller. The Purdue Crop Chat Podcast with Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dan Quinn and Soybean Specialist Sean Castile is up now at HoosierAgToday.com. They joined me on stage at last week's Indiana Farm Expo. We discussed a number of things from this past season, including how earlier planted crops took a bit of a hit in 2022, with many soybean growers trying to push that planting date sooner, Castile has some concerns. I know guys that have said, oh, the field conditions are fit. I'm going in March. And, you know, you can get hit pretty hard. You think about uh, a spring freeze that comes back and, and nips you because that growing point's above the ground, right? But I have also been pretty amazed on how that crop can adapt. So if you're burning out the terminal, but you've got the auxiliary buds that are there that can branch, I'm, I've done the March plantings. I've compared them to April's and May's, and uh, I'm not a fan of going to March. People can do it. I just think you have too much of a risk. With all the technology on display at the Indiana Farm Expo, Castile commented on the incredible work they've been doing at Purdue Extension with drones. He's had one for the past five years now and has watched their capabilities grow. Going from the toys to tools aspect of it. And so I've actually got a student that just finished up on work with stand assessment and just imagery. And we've got beautiful relationships. So instead of going on counting soybeans now with hula hoops and tape measures, we've got a, a beautiful relationship with the image and canopy cover and the, that being our threshold. Instead of saying we needed 100,000 plants or 70,000, 80,000 plants, we've got it on a canopy coverage basis uh, from VC to V4 and, and it's a moving target because that crop's growing. So yeah, there is some just awesome things that are going on there. So you can cover the field in a, a fast way. So do I have enough of a stand and really enough of a leaf area on the soybean side to, to leave it and, and move on? And so, yeah, it's been a fun thing to see and to use that application in that way. The Purdue Crop Chat can be found now wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Hoosier Ag Today. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. This is Hoosier Ag Today. And I'm Andy Eubank. And I'm C.J. Miller. On behalf of all of us at Hoosier Ag Today, we wish you and all the loved ones in your life a Merry Christmas. And we also hope it is a safe Christmas weekend for you. From us and our families to you and yours, Merry Christmas from Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network. Christmas.